As I mentioned before, I believe that this study that we're doing in Ephesians could change your life. I really do that. I really believe that. I'm just looking at you right now. I'm looking at all of you. You guys are looking at me. I'm telling you right now, I believe that this study in Ephesians could change your life. I say that because I know two things. Number one, I know that God's Word is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? We know these things about God's Word. It's a living Word. It's powerful. And so we know that God's Word is like that. And I also know this. uh, Not only is it living and powerful, but I also know that none of us in this room has arrived yet, right? I mean, nobody in here, you, you are perfect. You, everything that need, God needed to do on you, God has done. You are absolutely the person that you're supposed to be already. That's not true. If you think that's true, that's not true, right? And so we take these two things together. Number one, God's Word is a, is a kind of Word. It's a living, it's powerful, it can change us. In conjunction with that, we're the kind of people that need changed, so to speak. Put those two things together, and I can say accurately, I believe... That this study in Ephesians could change your life. It could change who you are, right? Now, part of doing that is not just to come to church and hear that on Sunday, uh, but to try to study that through the week and take these things with you through the week. And so, in Ephesians, one of the things that I'm... Uh, just to kind of help you with that. Now, this is the fourth week we've had the same bookmark. If you haven't grabbed one yet, it's a, it's a green bookmark. Uh, we've got some more back there. But it, the goal is to read uh, and pray through Ephesians together as a church. Just really pull ourselves together and, and, and through the week be praying uh, about certain things and be reading Ephesians together. Next week I'll have a new bookmark for you. But uh, this is meant to be just in addition to uh, your, uh, the, the Bible reading that you're already doing. Uh, but it's also, in case you're a person who says, you know, I don't really read the Bible regularly, this is a chance for you to say, I didn't really know what to do. I start in Genesis. Where do I go? What am I supposed to read? This is a chance for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to do this. I have small passages picked out, and, and usually that's what I have to read. I have to read a small passage. I get too much, and I, I start to lose what I'm thinking about. And so we, we, we pick out small passages, and we're just kind of on the same page together. Four weeks ago, I gave an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And, Charity, I'm going to need you to click right in the middle of that screen so that I can take control of this thing. There you go. Let me see if I have. Click it again. All right, there we go. Now I got it. I like to have control. Um, uh, four weeks ago, I, we just kind of introduced the book, and that's when I gave you that bookmark the first time. But uh, I, I gave you this idea that I feel like one of the themes of Ephesians, at least the first part of it, in my preliminary study, I felt like one of the things about Ephesians is it paints a big picture view of God. Right? Uh, A.W. Tozer once uh, is known to have said, I believe it's in one of his books, he said, how you view God is the most important thing about you. Right? How you view God, what you think about God, and how you view God is one of the most important things about you. Now, he said the most important. I think it's definitely at least one of the most important things about you. How you view God and what you think about God. And when you're thinking about God, what, what kind of thoughts come up. And, and Ephesians does a great job at just building this big picture view of God and who he is. I've already been just astounded as I've studied this. And as most of you know, I've mentioned already... The first sentence of Ephesians, the first big sentence of Ephesians, is just, just kind of blows my mind. It's a long sentence. It goes from verse 3 to verse 14. Right? That's a long sentence. Now, we look in our Bibles, and it's broken down into a shorter sentence. But in the original, when Paul wrote it, and when he was sitting down and writing in the Greek, right, he wrote one big long sentence, uh, that verse 3 to verse 14. And so we've kind of been taking a look at that one piece at a time. 
Right? And so I, the first week I looked at that first part. I'm going to go ahead and put uh, the first two verses. For, or, I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4 up here for you. Three weeks ago I looked at that first part of that verse, the section I have up there, this word, blessed. Right? Blessed be the God and Father. Now, you can't actually bless God with anything. You can't give Him anything because He already owns everything. He has everything. And so when a person in the Bible says, Blessed be God, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, like Paul does, that's a way for him to say, Praise God. Right? Praise God for these things. And so he's going to go on and start praising God for certain things. And so two weeks ago, I started looking a little bit more at that, that, that passage and just how he says, praise God. And the specific thing that you see there is he says, blessed be God, because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is what God has done. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so praise God, because he's blessed us in this kind of way. The rest of this big, long sentence is Paul kind of unfolding this praise Praise God because He's blessed us, and let's see what. And so He starts to tell us all what that's all about. Last week I got to the beginning of verse four, which starts off in this version as "even as." Some versions say "according to," right? And that's exactly what that word means. Paul says, "Praise be God, praise God, because He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, according to." So God blessed us according to this. And what does He say? "Even as." That said, according to, even as what? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Right? There it is. And so last week we talked about that. And so I want to encourage you, if you were, weren't, weren't here last week, uh, just hunt down Ashley and say, hey, I'd like to hear what last week was all about because I, I can't go back and, and, and go through all those things. But it's important to try to build that picture together because if this is one long sentence and you just, you know, just catch parts of it, it's not going to make as much sense as it could. Right? And so one of the things that you need to try to do is say, okay, if I miss something, you can, well, we record these things, so you can always go back and say, what, what did he say last week? And figure out what that is. But this is what Paul says. He says, bless, he blesses with every spiritual blessing, according to, or even as, he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And last week, that's what we focused on. Now this week, I want to talk about, now last week I asked the question, I said, why are you here uh, and if you were here last week, I started out off and I said it in a certain way, like, why are you here, right? But uh, it was meant to mean, hey, why, why are you here? Like, why would you be here to begin with? And that's kind of what we talked about. This week, I want to ask that same question, why are you here? But this week, I want to ask the question in the sense of, what's your purpose, right? Because Paul doesn't leave us. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he goes on to tell what we were chosen for and what, that, what that's all about. And uh, we're going to look at that this week. And so, before I really dig into that, I want to pray. We're going to read through this section. And then we're going to uh, unpack it, pick it apart, and try to understand what it's talking about. So, let me pray. And then we'll dig into this. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this day. And I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and insight as we look at your word. And we look at this big, long sentence that Paul wrote. And we try to understand what Paul was talking about. God, help us to understand those things. God, give me wisdom as I preach your word, that I would preach it accurately, and that I wouldn't say anything, Lord, that is not what you would want me to say. Lord, guide my words. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so, here we have this. I'm going to read this from beginning to end. Ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, that phrase there, that we should be, let me pop that up there for a minute. That we should be. In the Greek, that's one word. And so, in, in, in what we're looking at today, it's, it's expanded to a few more words. In the King James and the English Standard, it's, it's written as that we should be. Some versions say that we would be. In the original, it was one word, and it means to be or to exist. Right? To be or to exist. It's a word that means, hey, exist in this state. Now, this is important because I, I feel like this is one of the biggest misconceptions of people. When they think about Christianity, right? When they think about Christianity, this is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about what Christianity is all about. And let me put it up there this way. It's a, it, notice Paul says it's a state of being, not a state of doing. Right? It's a state of being, not a state of doing. So many people misunderstand that about Christianity. They look at Christians and look at what Christianity is about. And they, they start thinking about all the things that Christians do. You do this and do this. And you go to church and read your Bibles. And you do good deeds. And you, you give charitably. And you do these things. And, and a lot of people just view it on that surface level just about what you do. But notice Paul in this passage, he doesn't say, uh, you know, this is what you should do. God chose you to do these things. He says God chose us that we should be these things. Right? And so I don't want to fly through that. That's important. I believe every word uh, that's in the Bible is inspired by God and is there for a reason. And so Paul states this clearly. This one little word, one little word in the original is so important that we should be. Now, let's take that idea that we should be something. We're going to sit it right here on the table and we're going to remember that. That's going to kind of tie into the rest of this. So let's look at the next part. Paul says this next. He says that we should be holy. That we should be holy. Notice Paul says, hey, uh, God has chosen us that we should be holy and blameless. Now this word holy, usually when you hear the word holy, you think of uh, good. In fact, when I think of the word holy, I think, okay, there's good. Here's really good. Here's someone who's really, really good. And then you have way up here at the top, holy, right? I mean, that's what holy means to many of us. We think about the word holy, we think pure or righteous or... But honestly, this word is the Greek word hagos, and it means set apart or different, right? And so see, God is called holy because God is completely set apart from who we are. Does that make sense? I mean, God is set apart from us. We are called to be holy, and this idea of God calling us to be holy... I mean, think about it this way. In the Old Testament, you'll hear uh, the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it what? Holy. That doesn't mean that the Sabbath day is any different than the rest of the days. That meant for the Jews, when they thought of Saturday, the Sabbath, they said this day, even though it's just like the rest of the days, this day we're going to keep it set apart for a special use. See, holiness defines purpose, right? And so to say, hey, this, you know, set this day aside for holiness, that means keep it set apart for a special use. It's kind of like what you think about when you're with your fine china, Right? Nobody ever eats on it. We don't know why we have it. It sits up in the cabinet and then, oh, but then something's a unique occasion, right? We've set this apart for a special purpose. This, this china is only used when these people come over, you know. And, and I always think, you know, well, am I not special enough, you know, that I should be able to eat on this? But, you know, that's what we think of it. We, we, we're setting it apart for special occasions, right? And there's a lot of things that we do. But in the, in the Bible, when it talks about things being set apart as being holy... All it's saying is this is set apart for a special purpose. There's a, there's a point to this. 
No longer is it going to be used in a common general way, right? But for a special use. There's something special for it. And so Paul says, God has chosen us to be holy, right? The next word is blameless. Now, blameless, a lot of people, this is what we think of when we think of holiness. We think of pure or spotless. But blameless is the word that really means pure or spotless. Right? It means literally that, that there's, it's, it, there's absolutely no stains, no defects, not one thing there. Right? And so this is usually what we think about when we think about holy, but this is a different word, and it, it means pure. You know, what's really interesting is when you put those two words together, holy and blameless together, they have a real sacrificial tone to them. Uh, if you know anything about the Bible, it kind of takes you back to Old Testament days, right? Where they would have a lamb. And the lamb would have to be set apart. This lamb was not going to be like the rest of them. This lamb was not going to be used for just common use. We're not just going to have a regular meal out of this. This lamb is going to be meant for, purposed for. We're setting it apart from the rest for sacrifice. And one of the aspects of that lamb is that it would have to be no blemishes. And so it couldn't have spots or defects. And it was very important that this lamb be pure and it be set apart for this purpose. You see that so much in the life of Christ. Christ is described as the the holy and blameless Lamb of God. And you see that in His life. This is why He goes through His life and and He is constantly saying, the words that I have are not my own words, but they're the words that my Father has for me. See, He was holy in His purpose. The things that I'm going to do are not the things that just I want to do, but it's what the Father wants me to do. It's holy in purpose. But then also you see in Christ this blamelessness, right? I mean, He was tempted the same way as we are, Yet without what? Sin. And so you have the person of Jesus Christ. He's he's holy. He's blameless. And you see that sacrificial idea in there. And so you see this played out. And so Paul says, hey, God has chosen us that we should be holy and blameless. Now, so here we have this concept of that. That Paul says he's chosen us that we should be. So there's a state of being that we should be this. And the two things he says, the two elements of our chosenness, if you want to call it, are holy and blameless. Okay, so God has chosen us to be holy and blameless. Now, before we really dig into that much further, I want to take a moment just to talk about this. Three ways, right? Three ways that these two elements, holy and blameless, right? That these two elements of our chosenness get distorted. Okay? Now, feel free to evaluate these. Okay? These are just two ways I think that these two ideas get distorted. Okay? The first way is this. And just ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself if you see these things played out in, in yourself or in the church around you or in the church at large, like other people that we know. Just start asking yourself. But really try, try to hone on yourself. Is this true of me? Okay? The first one is this. The first distortion, so to speak, of these two elements is this. Holy but not blameless. Now, I know that might sound confusing because see, your, your idea of the word holy is still like really pure, but remember, blameless means pure, good, righteous, pure, without defect. Holy means set apart with a purpose, right? So here we have this idea, and I, I think sometimes we see this in action. I know right now that I've been this way, so let me explain. If I might pick on the guys as well for a minute, I think that guys have, maybe the women have struggled with this as well, but I think the guys, we've struggled with this characteristically throughout the ages, throughout, all the way back to Christ's day and before this has been a struggle. 
There's this idea when you begin to know the truth of what God is about to start to attach those things things to yourself. This idea that God has a purpose for something for me to do and to, to, to act out. There's purposes that God has for me. And so here's what you end up seeing a lot of times though. You have a person who, they'll, they'll go to church regularly, right? And they, they're, they're giving their tithe, they're doing a lot of these things. Maybe they become a deacon or a trustee in their church and they take kind of up positions of leadership. And, and so they, here they are and it seems like they're really serving in the church and they're ushering when there's opportunities and they're doing these things and hey, somebody needs this done or that done. And, and they're doing these purposeful things seeming so for God. But sometimes even before they get out to the car, right, there's a, there's a problem. You have a, many men who will, will have this going on here. In fact, this has been a problem with so many people, an avoidance of Christianity, because here they are, they're, they're there, they're serving, but then they step out and they're, they're, they're a bear with their family. They're a, they're a jerk at work. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that's the case. They're a jerk at work, right? Uh, I mean, they're just, you begin to see this, hypocrisy well up in this person. You're thinking, what is going on? I mean, here's this guy. He's leading at church and he's, you know, looks right, acts right at church, everything. And he's doing, filling these positions of authority and leadership. But then anybody in the family, now maybe he's pretty good. Maybe he's not a jerk at work. But man, anybody in the family, they know, man, this is not right. What's going on? There's, there's a sense of holy in the sense of setting apart this time to God, but then this blameless aspect. Now, God has chosen this guy to be blameless, but then he goes home and, and he's a total jerk and he's sinful and he's, he's arrogant and he's, he's rude and everything else. Right? What's going on? Well, in one sense, it's a distortion of what God has for that person. God has chosen him to be holy and Blameless together. Join those two things together. That, that word and is right in there. Joining these two things together. That's what God has chosen them for. That, but that's as deep as it goes. There's a, there's a real hypocrisy. and Let's put it up there. They're, they end up being hypocritical or that word pharisaical. That's just a way of saying they're like a Pharisee. When you think of the Pharisees, right? Jesus described them one time as he said, You're, you're like a, a whitewashed tomb. Right, beautiful sculpture on the outside. It just looks beautiful. It's set apart for the, you know, honoring someone who's died. You're like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Right? There's this 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 outward sense of this purpose or designation to God. I'm going to do the things God wants me to do, but it's not being lived out in their life. And that is not what God has chosen you to be. And if you have to sit there and say right now, that 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 kind of hits home. Understand, this is not what God has chosen you to be. People in this state, honestly, we must wonder. Just the way we do about the Pharisees. When you read about the Pharisees and you see this, yes, they're doing all these things that God wants, but then it's not lived out in their life. They're, you know, maybe they're, they're generous with family and friends, but with the poor of this world, forget them. With the sinners of this world, ignore and reject them. You have to wonder, the way we do about the Pharisees, you wonder about the Pharisees, when you read about the Pharisees, you start thinking, I don't think they're getting it. I don't think they're saved. You have to ask those questions. Now, second, distortion, that's the first one. The second one, you may be able to guess from the first one, holy but not blameless. Let's go the other direction and say this, blameless but not 
holy. You might be scratching your head like, what's, okay, what's that one mean? Wait a minute. All right, well, if, if holy means set apart for God's purposes to do what God wants you to do, blameless, remember, means pure, spotless, without flaws or defects. Uh, I, without knowing any better way to describe someone who may have fallen into this distortion, I'm, I'm going to call it, uh, I'm going to put it this way with the quotes, good people. Uh, we, we all know people that maybe fall into this category because we'll, we'll say that phrase. We'll, we'll, you'll, you'll know somebody and say, oh man, you know, they're... They did this and they did that. I mean, they're just, what? Good people. You have a neighbor, right? And you say, uh, I mean, they're kind, they're generous, they're, they're, they're compassionate with their family. I mean, generally, a, just an outstanding, good-natured person you find. I mean, you dig into their life if you get to know them. Man, it's, it's, it's the, they're the real deal. I mean, they're just a nice, kind person, right? Good person, generous and loving and kind and all these things. And, and you say, what do you say? You say, man, they're just... And that's, that's good people, right? Those are good people. Uh, I remember my neighbor next door to me. Uh, his name was Carl. I've mentioned him several times here. That's how most people knew him. Man, he's just a good guy. Just a good guy. Just you know, great guy. And you know, People talk about him. Just nice guy. Just real helpful and everything else. And they'd say these things. And he's just good people. But without that sense of God's purpose in their lives, they're missing it. Right? They're missing it. God has chosen us to be not just blameless good people. That's not what Christianity is all about. It's not about just being a good person. But God has called you for a specific purpose as well. And what God is calling us to be, what we're chosen to be, is not just, not just blameless, but truly a real sense of holiness. Like Peter says in his letter, he says, uh, God has told us, be holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's God's piece. Be holy as I am holy. And that's what we know is, is our call to do. Is be set apart for a specific purpose. We are called no longer to live for ourselves. We're not called to live for our families. We're not called to live for our friends. We're not called to live to live. We are called to live for God. Just the way the Sabbath day is set aside from the other days for a specific purpose to, to, to keep it holy, you are also called to that, right? We're no longer for ourselves, but for God. Now, a third way that these two ideas can become distorted is, okay, what's well, leaning the blameless good people or leaning, leaning over here in the, this other direction, whole, God's purposes, but it's not lived out in our lives. But a third way is when neither one, so let's put this in up here, neither, neither one of these is emphasized, right? Neither holy nor blameless, and I really want to put the word in there, neither holiness or blamelessness is emphasized. Now this one seems obvious, right? If you've got a person, he's not striving to be, you know, right, and he's also not striving to do anything God wants him to do. Neither one, they, they check it all. Okay, clearly, Matt, that's a distortion, but, but let, me, let me talk about it in a different light. The, I personally feel that when I refer to this kind of distortion, I'm not talking about the people that are in that case. I'm going to talk about us for just a second. Now, I'm going to share what I believe is, I think every generation has their, this is the line in the sand, this is where Satan is throwing in his full frontal attack into Christianity. 
And I believe that in this particular area is where Christianity is being attacked by Satan. The teachings and the truth of God is, are being attacked. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is being uh, attacked by Satan in this particular area. See, because we'll have someone who, who will at some point make a profession of faith, but then it's never lived out in their life. It, 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 nothing happens. The, the problem with that, that is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. Salvation is about. See, in, in fact, you, if you just were to go back just a hundred years, just in American history, the, the gospel that was preached was a gospel that saves people. Right? I mean, literally, you would have people who were hell-bent on destruction, and they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there was a radical change of life. And they would say, that was Christ that did that. You know why they would say that? Because they preached a Christ that was powerful to save. Not powerless. And Satan has really brought in the, the big guns in this area and, and has begun to paint a picture of Jesus Christ who's powerless. I mean, he, he, he can save a person's soul, but he, he can't really save them from sin. And there's, he just can't do that. There, the people, they, he can't get in there. He can't save people anymore. That's the way he's painted. In so many churches today, he's, he's preached as a, as a God who can get you to heaven, but that's about it. And that, frankly, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't put it up here. This ends up being a completely different gospel. It's a completely different gospel than what was preached for hundreds of years. No longer is Christ presented as a, as a God who saves, as a Christ who saves, as a, as a Savior of mankind. All He's presented as is this guy that went up and died on a cross and He can make sure you go to heaven. And that's about it. But that is not the Christ of the Bible. And that is not the Christ that the Bible presents. The Christ of the Bible is a God who changes the very nature of who you are. And so we go back. Remember I sat right here? It's a state of being, not a state of doing. That's what Paul's talking about. Christ comes in and he changes the very essence, the very nature of who you are. So that you, it's not that you start doing different, it's that you start being different different right that's a that's a core change that's something different and that's what we have to preach and that's the gospel that we have to preach it's a it's the gospel that actually saves now i'm going to throw up here now we've we got this this category going on three ways that these two elements of chosenness get distorted and, and so we we need an alternative not this one not this one not either one of them but but obviously someone who the alternative would be embraces both holiness and blamelessness and so you see this fourth type uh, realize, okay, yes, we've got to embrace both. We've got to be holy, got to be blameless. I'm going to tell you right now, this is where I've fallen so many times in my life because I begin to try to embrace both holiness and blamelessness, and I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm striving totally. My purposes are God's purposes in my life, and, and, and I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do, and I'm striving for that striving, and I don't. And I'm striving to be blameless. I, oh, I've, I've got to clear this out and clear this out. And sometimes it seems the harder I try to get rid of stuff, the more it's there. And it's, it comes back even stronger and, and, and with more power in my life. And, and I, I begin to realize that this idea of embracing holiness and... Okay, well, I, gotta, I can't just embrace holiness. I can't just... I've got to 
grab them both. Be the Christian God wants me to be. We suddenly find that that's really a distortion in and of itself as well. And someone pops this up here. We're going we're gonna to scratch out the three and we'll put four, four ways. You go, no, wait a minute. I thought this would be the right way. I thought this was the way. Embrace both. But you can't. But you know what? Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was absolutely set aside for God's holy purposes throughout his whole life. And he was obedient, the Bible says, to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was also blameless, tempted, like I said earlier, tempted just the way we are, yet without sin. So, so Jesus was holy and blameless, completely, absolutely, perfectly, both things. He was what we're supposed to be. He did. He did it all. And what you find, in, instead of saying, okay, the Christian life, I gotta, really got to be holy, I really got to be blameless, I really got to do these things, you find instead that that's not what the Bible teaches that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be, well, how are you supposed to be those things? I can't be those things. It's Christ. This is why it says earlier, we were chosen in Him. Who's the Him? Jesus Christ. So, okay, Matt, so what, what are we supposed to do? You said we can't grab this, we can't do this, we, we can't just grab one or the other, we can't ignore both, we've got to hold on to both. But that, you said, that, that's... Let me offer a final alternative. Embrace Jesus Christ. When you begin to really embrace Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, that relationship that you have with Christ, when you begin to embrace Him, suddenly you will find that it's not about you doing those things. You will find that it's about Him. We're simply going to begin to live out what Christ has already done. He's done it all. But we begin to live it out. And, and we walk by faith, and, and as we walk by faith, what Christ has done in us, this chosenness that God has for us, we suddenly become to be. See, because you can't change your nature, but God can. Christ can. He can change the very nature of who you are. And so this is why the Christ that is preached in so many pulpits today is, is a powerless Christ, because He's not preached that way. Christ is preached, He'll save your soul, but now you have to do. And that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches Christ did it all. Embrace Him. Love Him most of all. Hold on to Him most of all. Let Him be your chief treasure of life. I think that all of us have fallen into one of those slight distortions. Some of us have sought to be holy, but haven't put much of an emphasis on blamelessness. And frankly, we've been hypocrites for much of our lives. We're able to show up at church and, and, and look right and act right and say the right things and everything else and everything's good. But family knows it's not, it's not a consistent picture. We're hypocritical. And so maybe you've been blowing it in that category. The problem with it is, number one, you make Christ look weak or powerless to save. When you live that way and you, you have this hypocritical life and then and you, if you even try to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, then in the back of their head, if they don't say it to you, they're thinking it. Such a hypocrite. In fact, many of us in Danville know that many people are, are not interested in the things of Christ. And the very reason they give is they say, 
Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They go to church and they do this and they do this and they, they, they do all these things here, but then I know that guy. I know that woman. That's not... What's the point of Christ? Christ, can't, Christ didn't even do anything in this guy and he's dedicated to church. And when we present, when we live that way, we present a Christ who's powerless. Instead, we need to grab a hold of a Christ who is powerful and hold on to Him and trust that He can change your very being and very nature so that you're not even the same person. Maybe some of you have struggled because you've been blameless but not holy. I mean, you've sought to be a good person. You're a good, good person, pretty much. I mean, most people, they can't pinpoint this is wrong or this is wrong. I mean, you know... Uh, if you're if you're not good, you, you're at least you've got. If you don't have goodness, you at least have some not so badness, right? I mean, you, not so. I'm not such a bad person, right? And you don't really, you know, inflate that. But I mean, you're a pretty good person. But frankly, you, as you swell in your 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 own okayness, you make Christ look worthless. I mean, I, I'm a pretty good person. I'm totally on my own. What do I need Jesus for? I don't, I don't need to go to church. I don't need this. I don't need this. I, I don't need those things. Right? I, completely. You know, a life that is lived that way makes Jesus look worthless. I mean, here Jesus Christ is, is the Bible describes him as the greatest treasure. The thing, the, the one thing that is, is worth more than anything is, is the relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. But, but when you live this way, I'm a good person, but there, there's no sense of purpose, then you make Christ look Worthless. What's you know? Take him or leave him. Jesus, take him or leave him. Right? Maybe you've been blowing it that way, but Christ has great worth. And if He's not been something to you, not been something that is great worth to you, the great worth, the great treasure, I want to encourage you today to today have that change of mind and say Christ is worth most of all. Some of us have blown it. Because we've, we've not made an emphasis on either one. Right? We, we don't hold on to, to either holiness or blamelessness. I mean, it's just not an issue. In fact, maybe that's, the, the, even talking about it today, you're like, I don't, I don't know about all that. I mean, I just want to go, you know, have some lunch. Right? But, when we paint a picture as us as a church, when we paint a picture of, of, of Christ that is not powerful to save, to really save people's souls. And when we, when we look at people and when we talk to people and we share what Christ can do, if we don't paint a picture of Him that is powerful to save, then frankly we, we make Christ look pointless. Have you ever heard the word relevant? Right? Have you ever been talking to somebody and, and, and they just bring up some random aspect, you're kind of debating about something, they bring up some random, and you're like, what's that got to do with anything? Samuel's not in here. I can talk about him for a second. He does that every once in a while. We'll be talking about it. And he'll bring up some random point. And I'm thinking, what does that have to do with anything? You know, color of purple, what it looks like. Or something. I'm thinking, we're talking about this. What are you talking about? Right? But frankly, many of us as Christians, if I might paint this in an accurate way, many of us as Christians, Christ is not such a dominant aspect of your life that... It's like, what's the point? You finally, one day, you've been around somebody so often, and, and finally one day you bring up Jesus Christ, and you're thinking, what's that got to do with anything? I've never noticed that Christ had anything to do with your life anyway. Right? You've been cheating the time clock like the rest of us. You've been dishonest like the rest You've been complaining about work like the rest of us. Right? 
What's the point of bringing Jesus into the conversation? See, when we live with that as not the primary issue of our lives, the primary thing of our lives, and you finally bring it up, and some, some of you have had a hard time witnessing for that very purpose, because when you finally bring it up, it seems out of place. Maybe the reason it seems out of place is because of how you live. Christ isn't an issue in how you live your life. And so people are like, that's weird coming from you. Right? Why? Because you've lived a life that's made Jesus not relevant to how you live your life. And that's not how God has chosen us to be. He's chosen us to be holy, completely set apart for God's purposes and blameless. Right? Both those things in combination. A life that is set aside for God and a life that's lived out. Some of you have had trouble with this last one. You've embraced both holiness and and blamelessness and found yourself coming up short so often. Right? Coming up short so often. But you've made it more and more an effort. No, I really have to do this. I have to do this. I've got to do it. And you I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and when we begin to live this way, this is, this is what we think of as a, a legalistic mindset that, yeah, I want to be holy for God's purposes and I'm going to be totally righteous and everything. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But we make Christ look needless to the issue. Because it's not become about embracing Christ, Jesus Christ as that person in your life. It's not about relationship to you, it's about what you're supposed to do. I have to do this and I have to do this. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and that you embrace Him as your greatest treasure. You embrace Him as the God that He is. As the chief end of all things in your life. Jesus Christ. Instead of, instead of embracing just do, 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 i got to do, do, do. It's about the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Is, is this living a certain way to where it's no longer about doing but about being and the way that I'm going to be this way is to simply embrace Jesus Christ. I have a word for you today. A word I use all the time. The Greek word is metanoia. And so often when we get to the end of a message, I bring this word up because metanoia is a Greek word. You think, well, I can't remember what it means, right? But metanoia means to change your mind. The English word that we use when we, when we use the word metanoia, when the word metanoia is used in the Bible, what's the English word that's so often used to translate that word? Repent. Right? Repent. It means change your mind. I believe that every single one of you in this room today, God has a purpose for you. I believe the fact that you're here shows that God has been working or is working in your life. He may be today doing some prodding or what the Bible describes as calling you. Maybe you've seen some of yourself and some of these distortions of what God has for you, His his chosenness, what He's got, His purposes He has for you. Maybe you you found yourself on one end to the other. I'm a good person, but there's no idea of being set apart for God's purpose. Or I'm definitely, I'm here all the time, but man, when you start talking, Matt, about what it's like at home, man, that just like... It was like salt in the wound. That, that just, I, that's me. Then today, what God always calls us to do in response to truth is to change our minds, to repent. And that change of mind, uh, many of us think of that change of mind, that repentance as not just a change of mind, but we always think about it as a turning. 
right? Because a true change of mind is not just one that says, yeah, that's true, and then keeps on going. A true change of mind is one that says, I'm, I'm changing. I'm going this way, right? A full turnaround to Jesus Christ. I'm going to embrace Christ above all. I want to encourage you this week to present Christ not as powerless, not as needless, and not as pointless, right? None of those things, but instead as a Christ who is powerful to save. Embrace Him and hold on to Him and, and, and let Him do that work in your life, so to speak, to bring you to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. So you might begin to impact others. Right? I'm going to pray, but I, I don't say this all the time, but after I pray, uh, you know, obviously we have our fellowship lunch, or we've got Italian food today, and please join us. Fellowship, that's what it's for. But, I, I don't say this all the time, but if you ever you hear something you think, man, that's me, I need to... You know, obviously we know we can go to God at any time, but if you say, I need to, now, I, can I talk to you for a second? I'm going to say, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. If, if you feel like, I, I, I'm having trouble in that whole repentance category, you know, you can come talk to me or uh, you can come talk to charity. Right? Just feel free to open those doors up and just say, you know, I, I need some advice. How do I, you know, put this into practice in my life? How am I supposed to do this? How do I embrace Christ above all? That's... I don't quite fully understand that. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day, and I thank you so much for uh, Paul uh, as he wrote this long sentence. God, I thank you for such meaning in every little word that I've, we're finding in there. Lord, I thank you for such meaning and such truth. Truth, God, that can change every one of us. God, I pray that you'd help us today to be the kind of church that embraces Christ above all. Lord, that we wouldn't be uh, hypocritical. Lord, that Edgewood wouldn't be defined as being hypocritical. That people would instead know what they're saying at church and what they're doing at church plays out into the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray that we would be that kind of church. Lord, help us not to fall on the other end. Lord, I think of so many who, who may not be here today that may be falling on the other end. Lord, they're good people, but Lord, there's no sense of God's purpose in their life and what God wants them to do. They're just living their life. Lord, I pray for those people as well that you would, you would draw them in to see that they're missing out on so much of what you have to offer. God, help us together to be witnesses to those things and, and examples of those things, Lord, that, that our lives would preach your word and preach the gospel. Lord, not just our words, but our lives would do that. Lord, help us to change, help us to repent when necessary. In all of this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.